This is Shine On, the Health and Happiness Show, and Ella's Leash Production. Heard as a podcast around the world, but heard first on radio stations 100.7 WHUD-FM and Real Country 920, 1260, and 1420 AM, all in New York's Hudson Valley. Shine On, bringing you healers and dreamers and people who want to make life richer. It's your time to shine on. Hi, it's Casey. Thank you so much for tuning in to Shine On Today. Wow, what a week it has been, right? What a week it has been. Um, Just when you think the world can't get any more, I don't know what, stretched, challenging, alive, um, unusual, unfamiliar, it was a heck of a week. So today, oddly, we're going to talk about Breath with James Nestor (sighs) at a time when I can't breathe has become a rallying cry for justice and at a time when the coronavirus is causing pneumonia-like symptoms. James Nestor invites us to look at our breathing. Interesting stuff. But first, we are going digging for joy. Do you remember when we had Doug Abrams on the show? My goodness, I think it was four years ago when his Book of Joy came out. New York Times bestseller, 2016. The Book of Joy was about His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, and Desmond Tutu. Friends with differences who came together to celebrate joy and happiness. And Douglas Abrams got to be in the room and follow these two guys around as they talked about obstacles to joy and finding resilience, the pillars of joy. So Doug Abrams, I believe he's out in California now, but it's good to have his voice back in New York, born in Manhattan. Doug thought it was a good time to check back and see how we're doing. In this time of strife, in this time of challenge, are you digging deep and finding joy? Even though there's so much sadness all around, your joy is your birthright. Your joy is something to remember. It's something to go searching for. It's something to protect. It's something to kindle, rekindle. And we're going to learn about the four key emotions and the eight pillars of joy. It is good to talk to you again, Douglas Abrams. Where do we start the conversation, Doug? Well, I think the recognition that even in the face of our fear and our sadness and our anger, that we don't have to surrender our joy. We can recognize that if we remember our shared humanity, that in fact we are struggling with one another, not against one another, to create a more moral and just world and more moral and just country. Right. How do we do that without losing our tempers? <laughs> well, I think, you know, it's, it's very human to get angry and to, to lose our tempers. Uh, but I think what the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu show us in the Book of Joy is that you can be two of the greatest activists and uh, fighters for justice in the world, and you don't have to surrender that sense of well-being, that sense of love, uh, that sense of joy that is our birthright. Right. I know they both spent their lives becoming who they are, living, you know, their truths, but 
give us a lesson that you remember from the book, from spending time with them, about how to um, how to create peace or keep peace or cultivate goodwill. Well, I grew up in a uh, in a home with a depressed parent, and I thought my job was to run as as far away from sorrow as possible and sadness. And what I learned from them is that joy and uh, sadness, joy and sorrow are really inextricably linked. And I think that in this moment when it's so easy to turn in on ourselves and turn to our grief or our fear or our anger, we can actually reach out to one another and recognize that we, in our shared humanity, we are all experiencing this. And actually, whatever side of the protest line you're on, whether you're a protester or a police officer, we are actually struggling with each other, not against each other, mm. to create a more moral union. Ah, we're struggling with each other, not against each other. That, that is a beautiful phrase to keep in the front of our minds. You also talk about building up mental immunity. I don't know what you mean by that. <laughs> well, this was the term of the Dalai Lama. Uh, he talks about how we can have, just like we can have physical immunity where we are resistant to getting colds, so we can have mental immunity where we are more healthier and more resistant from getting pulled into what the Buddhists call the afflictive emotions uh, like fear, anger, and sadness. And one of the things that was really interesting in the book, and we give about 50 pages of their joy practices in the book, is that the Dalai Lama would explain that if you do these practices, if you do these kind of meditations and cultivate your, your inner life, you're less likely to fall into, you know, kind of anger and, and fear and sadness in a way that you can't get out of. Um, but Archbishop Tutu was really adamant that even though you can develop this mental immunity and you can have... Um, you know, more joy and, and less sorrow in your life, you inevitably are going to experience fear, anger, and sadness because we're human. There's just, it's just fundamental to how we, you know, biologically experience the world. We're going to have these feelings. And so it's really about those having those feelings being able to channel those feelings for righteousness, for justice, without letting those feelings control us or dominate us or, um, or, or rob us of our joy. Right. Um, the key differences between joy and happiness. Can you tell us what you learned on that subject? Absolutely. So happiness is really often seen as something that's very much external to us. You know, I'm going to be happy when I get that job or when I find that partner. Um, and in, in fact, what they explain to us is joy is something internal, just like fear, anger, and sadness are internal states of being. Joy is something that is within us. It's accessible to us at any time. Um, and therefore, and it's not dependent on circumstances. And so really um, what, one of the things that they explained was it's, if we're chasing after happiness, thinking, well, if I make, get that more money or I get that bigger house, I'm going to be happy, we're never going to be happy. But if we recognize that joy is something internal and we cultivate what they call the eight pillars of joy, then we are able, then joy is just a natural flowing byproduct of those qualities. 
All right. So we have to practice the eight pillars, or was joy built into us, hardwired into us before birth? Well, I think that joy, fundamentally, if you look at a baby, if you look at children, joy is kind of our baseline state. And that, you know, these other emotions, and, we, you know, they wanted us to go to the scientists and validate what they had to say or contradict what they had to say. And the scientists said there are basically four human emotions. There's joy, fear, anger, and sadness. And so the fear, anger, and sadness, those actually all evolved to help us to move away from something that was problematic or to address something that was dangerous, whether it was a tiger or whether it was somebody who was threatening our family and we had to fight. And so, but those are, those are useful and necessary for their purpose, but we don't have to be at their mercy and we can return to this baseline of joy that is our birthright. Joy, fear, anger, and sadness. Those are the four root emotions. I never knew that. Yeah, it's really quite fascinating to hear that, that from the scientists that I mean, they actually are encoded in our facial expressions and they're universal all around the world. Wow. All right. What can you tell us about the eight pillars? Do you have time to give us all the pillars? Sure. Sure. Uh, well, um, so there are four pillars of the mind and four pillars of the heart. Uh, the four pillars of the mind are perspective, humility, humor, and acceptance. And the four pillars of the heart are forgiveness, gratitude, compassion, and generosity. And these qualities actually, as we explain in the book, build on one another. And, you know, just to begin them, perspective is such an important fundamental understanding of when we, and it's so important in this time when we recognize that we see these times and we see ourselves in the proper perspective and recognize, you know, as, as MLK said, you know, this long arc of history, that we are in the process of bending toward justice, then we are not so caught up in the moment and at the mercy of the moment, and we recognize that we have an important role to play, but it is not only up to us, and it won't be solved by us immediately, but we cannot desist from doing the work that's necessary to create a more just society. Beautiful. Douglas Abrams, the book, The Book of Joy, uh, His Holiness the Dalai Lama and uh, Archbishop Emeritus of Southern Africa, Desmond Tutu, have they gotten together again? I remember uh, you saying that when they were together, they thought perhaps it might be their last visit. They have not been able to get together. Archbishop Tutu's health, his prostate cancer, prevents him from being able to leave South Africa. And unfortunately, the Dalai Lama has not been able to uh, travel to South Africa because of pressure from China. But we're hoping, we're actually going to be making a film based on the footage that was shot in Dharamsala. And we're hoping, uh, maybe if we're lucky, that we can get them together around uh, the, the launch of that film. That's Doug Abrams. He wrote the Book of Joy. If you didn't read it back in 2016, now is a good time to pick it up. Lessons from the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu on finding joy. And I'm wishing you lots and lots of it. Hi, it's Casey. Thank you for tuning in to Shine On, the health and happiness show. You know what I have coming up on Tuesday night? I am going to do my uh, 20 questions toolkit again. I did it for the assemblage a couple of weeks ago, and one of the women who was supposed to be on the Zoom call couldn't get in, so I told her I'd do it again, and we'll do it as a benefit for Let It Shine Foundation. So if you go to Casey.co, K-A-C-E-Y dot C-O, 
you can get on that Zoom call. It's one of my favorite, favorite, favorite things to do. And if you missed it last time, it's coming up again Tuesday night. Uh, A toolkit for health and happiness, 20 questions. Casey.co has more. Speaking of websites, last week we had a couple of guys on and they were talking about My Vital C, which is a supplement. And they told us there would be a website that you could go to and the link didn't work. So, oh, that made me so mad. And then I remembered, find your joy. Um, so if you go to myvitalc.com slash Casey, K-A-C-E-Y, you'll get a discount on these supplements. Research, see if they're for you. And also, I believe, some articles uh, that our guests were talking about last week. Myvitalc.com slash Casey. If it didn't work for you last week, it'll work for you now. Okay. Do you think much about your breathing? I'll tell you, since the whole COVID-19 thing, I've been just taking big, deep breaths all the time trying to feel strong. Enter James Nestor, who did not plan to have this book come out in the middle of a pandemic, but the book is called Breath, The New Science of a Lost Art. He's got some science in here from swim coaches and Indian mystics and cardiologists and choral conductors, all talking about breath and the conventional wisdom we thought we knew about our most basic biological function. James Nestor, the author of Breath, your timing is something. Yeah, the timing's a little creepy to me as well. We had no intention of releasing this during a pandemic, so nothing hidden there. How did it happen that we came to be a people who aren't breathing properly? Yeah, this is a story that I stumbled upon a few years ago that really blew my mind. I was talking to biological anthropologists, people who study schools, and they said, if you look at a modern skull, there's a very good chance it's going to have crooked teeth. But if you look at a skull that's 500 years old or 5,000 years old or 50,000 years old and on back, there's a very good chance it's going to have perfectly straight teeth. So what's happened to us is our faces, our mouths, our noses have grown so small that our teeth no longer fit in our mouths. And there's another problem with that. Beyond having crooked teeth, it's that we have smaller airways. Small mouth makes a smaller airway. And this, in part, explains why we have so many of these respiratory problems nowadays. Asthma, snoring, sleep apnea, on and on and on. So it's not a psychological problem. It is an anatomical problem why, we have, why we're having so many issues just getting the breath in and out. How did you come to find yourself speaking to biological anthropologists? <laughs> That's a very good question, because when I set out on this book, I, I thought, oh, I've got to figure it out. I'm going to talk to pulmonologists, maybe some rhinologists, work in some labs. And then I learned that there is a much deeper story to all of this. Um, and I talked to one dentist who said, who asked me this, that question, like, why do we have crooked teeth? I said, huh, is it something we inherited? Like, no, no, it's not something we inherited because if you look at your great, 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 great grandmother or great grandfather, they had perfectly straight teeth. So he put me in touch with anthropologists and before I knew it, I was surrounded by thousands of ancient skulls all smiling back at me with perfectly straight teeth. Wow. And I thought, wow. There is a, there's something going on here I never heard about in school because I had learned that evolution means progress, right? Survival of the fittest. That's false. Evolution means change. 
and humans are now changing in ways that have nothing to do with survival of the fittest. We're okay. changing in ways that are really hurting us. All right. And we're going to teach people a little bit how to breathe more properly in the coming minutes, but we just have to stay with this here. Is it because our, our brains are getting bigger, so our, something has to take the space? What? How did this happen? That's partly because that's how it first started when we started cooking with fire 800,000 years ago. That released so many more calories, so our brains grew larger, and it took real estate from the front of our faces. But what mostly happened uh, was in the last 400, 500 years where our industrial food became so soft and processed, we no longer chewed. Mm. And when we, if we don't chew enough, we don't build up bones and muscles in our face, and our airways become clogged. Oh, my gosh. Say that again. If we don't chew enough... <laughs> This is the real depressing stuff. Uh, you know, I spent most of the book talking about how to fix this, but I guess you got to start with the problem first, right? right, right. So if, if we don't, and, and they've done tons of studies looking at infants who have been breastfed versus infants who have been bottle fed. Breastfeeding requires a ton of chewing stress in the face. And they found that those infants that have been breastfed will have a significantly decreased chance of snoring sleep apnea because they are developing their musculature and their bones early on. And so this feeds on up through our youth as we're developing. If we're not chewing a lot of hard foods, which is what we've been doing for millions and millions of years, our mouths don't develop right. They grow too small, which means our teeth have nowhere to go, which means our throats are clogged, which means breathing becomes more difficult. Wow. All right. James Nestor is the guest. The book is called Breath, The New Science of a Lost Art. Many years ago, I was hanging out doing a community theater, you know, with a bunch of artsy people. And there was this one guy who taught uh, the Alexander method of breathing. And I thought, what the heck is this guy pulling one over on us, teaching us how he thinks he can breathe better than us? But now, after I'm listening to you, I'm thinking maybe he was onto something. Yeah, I think he was as well. So, you know, we've been taught that whatever organs we're, we're born with, that's what we're stuck with. And for the most part, that's true. Whatever liver you have, whatever kidney you have. But the lungs are very different. So we can willingly control the size of our lungs and our respiratory health by changing our breathing. What researchers found when they studied 5,000 people, they found that lung size more than food or genetics or anything else was a more accurate predictor of longevity than any of those other metrics. So what Alexander Method's doing and their breathing coordination, and I could you know go down a laundry list of dozens of other exercises, these are all helping to restore respiratory health. They're expanding your lung size and allowing you to get more air in so you can get more air out, which is also exactly what yoga does. Mm. Guess what turning backwards and breathing and then turning the other direction and breathing does? It allows you to stretch open your chest and your lungs wow. to restore respiratory health. So. Let me ask you this. All mean, yeah, sure. It's and this is a reach and a crazy question, and but I'll go with it. If if we had stronger lungs with greater breathing capacity, would we be more uh, well equipped to fight off coronavirus? Respiratory health has absolutely been correlated to our chances to fight off the symptoms of coronavirus. Yes, um, and and we know that people who have better respiratory health 
will have a better chance. And something that is also very important here is nasal breathing. Most people think of our nose as just this ancillary organ that we can breathe out of it if we want, but we can just breathe out of our mouth the rest of the time. Completely false. Go, go into the wild and look at any other animal, especially when it's sleeping. These animals are, sleep, are breathing through their noses. Dogs breathe through their mouth when they're exercising because they're thermoregulating, they're exhaling heat. Mm -hmm. So breathing through the nose, without getting too far in the weeds here, releases an incredible amount of nitric oxide. And this is a molecule that, guess what, helps us fight off pathogens and viruses, increases circulation. And they've found in studies right, right now, they're just doing these studies that they are giving people nitric oxide to help them uh, overcome the symptoms of coronavirus. Wow. But guess what? Our, our nose already, already stimulates and gives us this huge profusion of nitric oxide. And if you hum, you can increase your nitric oxide 15-fold, which is an incredible amount. So science is backing up what the ancients have been telling us to do for thousands and thousands of years, and I think it's fascinating. Wow. I never knew why we hummed in yoga class. I never knew that. Uh, okay, you've got some tips for us to, to be feeling better right now, uh, breathing through our nose and humming among them. What else can we do? I think that, you know, a lot of us have been told that breathing a lot more, breathing heavily, breathing through our mouths is going to allow us to get more oxygen into our bodies, but that is absolutely false. So what, what I learned in this long, strange journey researching this book is so much of the conventional wisdom, even the stuff in medical textbooks, is wrong. And so by breathing too much, what you're actually doing is you're inhibiting oxygen from feeding all those cells. You're inhibiting circulation, which is why if you sit in a corner right now, if you have a panic attack and you feel that tingling in your fingers and you feel lightheaded, that isn't because more oxygen is getting to those areas. It's because less oxygen is getting to those areas. So another thing that people should really practice is breathing slowly, and almost all of us can benefit from breathing less. By breathing less, you get more. You're also going to really ease the burden on your heart, which is very important. I don't know how I'm going to breathe less, James Nestor. How am I going to breathe less? I'm here to help you. <laughs> the, the how of this is easy, right? You know, you can sum it up in a, in a few pages, which is, and this stuff's freely available on the website, how to do all this stuff. It's the why we want to do this, where these practices came from, what it does to our body. That, to me, is the much more interesting story here, because unless you understand and appreciate how breathing in these different ways is going to affect you, I don't think you're going to stick to it. So there are dozens and dozens of practices to help you breathe less and to breathe slowly. And what's interesting is if you look at ancient Hindu yoga practices, if you look at Chinese practices, if you look at Japanese practices and even Greek, ancient Greek practices, they're all doing the same thing. So you can pick whatever school or religion or whatever you want. But all of their practices are doing the same thing because this stuff works for these people. And now we're finding with science that so much of it is absolutely true. It really does affect us in a huge way. MrJamesNestor.com, when I go there, I'll find good things? Yes, you can put a backslash breath in there uh, to go directly to the, the breath site. There's, if anyone's interested in this, you know, there's 600. I knew no one was going to believe this stuff. So there are about 600 scientific references available with videos and pictures 
on that site for any of the doubters. That's James Nestor, author of Breath, The New Science of a Lost Art. Interesting stuff, right? Check out mrjamesnestor.com. That's M-R-James-Nestor, N-E-S-T-O-R, dot com. It is impossible to talk about breath on this show without thinking of George Floyd's cry, I can't breathe. And isn't it such a strange time where Mother Earth is saying, you're cutting down trees and I can't breathe, where black men and women are being brutalized and saying, I can't breathe, where a pandemic sweeps across the entire planet, taking away people's ability to take a deep breath. It's a lot. It's a lot. And real change feels like it's here. Real change feels like it's here. Man, we had to go down a lot of layers, right? And you know what some wise people say? This is just the beginning. This is just the beginning. And we're here to see it. Breathing, being allowed to breathe, not something to be taken for granted. Okay, our thought for the day comes from, you know, Mary Oliver. When you have time later, I want you to find this poem. Have you ever tried to enter the long black branches? That's the poem by Mary Oliver. Have you ever tried to enter the long black branches? Find that, and in it there's this line. Listen, are you breathing just a little and calling it a life? Love one another. Shine on. You've been listening to Shine On, the health and happiness show for your entertainment only. Heard Sunday mornings on 100.7 WHUD and on Real Country's 920, 1260, and 1420 AM, all in New York's Hudson Valley. Subscribe to Shine On on iTunes and SoundCloud and catch a show anytime at Casey.co. That's K-A-C-E-Y dot C-O. Shine On.